This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. To the book of Exodus. Turn to the book of Exodus. To give a wee bit of a background to this verse, where we're heading with this, the king of Egypt had, had come along who did not know Joseph, didn't like the idea of the children of Israel being a mighty people, and he feared them, and he wanted to subject them to his will and to his, his efforts and to his vision of the world. So he put them into slavery and forced them to build the uh, cities for him and uh, the children of Israel labored for many years under, this, under the pharaohs to build their great cities and their pyramids and stuff. And it says in Exodus 13, uh, I'm only going to read two verses at this point, 13, 17, and 18. It says, and when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. The children of Israel had come out of slavery. We all know the story very well. They've been delivered. I actually trust my message tonight. Whenever Brother Martin was speaking this morning, I was going, I hope this dovetails well together because at one point I was getting worried. <laughs> but the children of Israel have been delivered out of Egypt. They come, they come along and, and it says in this verse that God did not uh, lead them by the way of the Philistines although it was near. He didn't lead them directly into warfare. He didn't lead them directly into conflict with the surrounding nations. They were a mighty people. There was many of them. They might have been slaves. Their situation had changed. They were no longer subject to the taskmasters, but, and they had been delivered. But their mindset, their whole thinking, was still of slaves. They'd had hundreds and hundreds of years Many commentators say about 210, 215 years, depending on the commentator, uh, 200 years of slavery, 200 years in which they had been persecuted, 200 years in which they had had every notion of God, every thought about God, every idea of who God was pounded out of their mind. They had it so reduced in their thinking that he was something they might have... I've heard a rumor of that. I can vaguely remember someone talking about that. They weren't aware of God in the sense that we are with the Bible. They weren't the generation that were in the promised land. These were slaves who were only just delivered by the skin of their teeth, I should say. 200 years, and they no longer thought of themselves in any big term as God's people. Yes, we're different because we're slaves. We're all Hebrews, but that's all we know. That's it. And here God is bringing them out, delivering them, and they're leading them across. And he goes, you know what? I'm not going to take them into warfare right away because if I do, they'll regret 
coming out of, the prom- out of Egypt. They'll regret it. But warfare and conflict is the natural state of God's people. And what I mean by that is that they, just as for the children of Israel, they're surrounded by nations who are hostile to God. In this day and age, actually, we look at Israel in the, in, uh, the Middle East and all the conflict that comes against it, against the land. It's the only place on earth that is, that is actually identified as God's land and the children of Israel as the people who live on God's land. The world, the flesh, and the devil can't come against God's people in every generation. They rise up for reasons they don't know many times, but there's a spirit behind it to crush God's people. So there is a natural tendency that we have as God's people and the children of Israel needed to have where we recognize we have an enemy and we have got a fight on our hands. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, if you thought this life was going to be easy, you're far mistaken. It's not going to be easy. It wasn't going to be easy for the children of Israel. God led them out, delivered them mightily, done mighty wonders in their sight, and yet they still weren't ready for conflict. Later on, as we see in the next chapter, I'm not going to read it, but in Exodus 14, we read of them coming to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army coming behind them. And they all start to panic and get into their usual mindset. Oh, you may as well have left us in Egypt. We're going to die here at the Red Sea. See, the Egyptian army was coming. And I guarantee you, some of those soldiers were probably the same taskmasters who had looked after them when they were in Egypt. I guarantee you that they were looking at those and they were like, I'm sure they're in there. I'm sure they're coming. They've got their shackles. They've got their whips. They're going to come and get us. So God had to deliver them mightily at the Red Sea. See, the Red Sea wasn't just about delivering them physically across a body of water. It was delivering them mentally and spiritually from the bondage from which they were previously occupied. It was a deliverance from them physically and spiritually because they, in their spirits, you've seen stories and you've heard stories and you've seen videos of people who have been in abusive relationships or of of maybe a dog that's been beaten. And you see how it cars away from people and it responds and it it gets all all sorts of things in in an act of fear because every time it sees its master, it goes, oh, and it shudders and it shakes and it whines. And that was like the children of Israel, the Egyptians are coming, they're getting closer and closer. And there's like, oh, you know, they could almost feel the lash upon their back. They weren't, they were delivered, but they weren't set free. They weren't delivered in their spirits. They were still in bondage to that. So it was important that God actually wiped out the Egyptians. Thank God he does that. Thank God he's still in the business of delivering people to the uttermost. Thank God he is. It would have taken the children of Israel, if they'd made a direct path, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks at the most, to cross the Sinai, to get to the promised land. But God was taking them away from conflict, away from the troubles of the Philistines and these other nations, because he knew that they weren't ready, because they might have been delivered, but they hadn't really got a full understanding of who they were as God's people. They hadn't got a full freedom in their spirits from the bondage and from the slavery, from the mindset that had preoccupied them. Can you imagine it? 
generation after generation. We have it in our own world, in our own lives, you know, where we bring up another generation and we tell them, you do this and you don't do that. This is allowed and this is not allowed. You can't run here and you can't run there. It's not good to shout. It's not good to yell at people or strangers. It's not good to thump strangers. It's not good to, you know, we, we do that as natural people. Can you imagine how the slaves did it? Oh, be careful. This taskmaster's coming. Be careful. We can't do that there. No, no there are masters. And so they passed on that slave mentality. And they might have been physically free, but they weren't set free. They weren't walking and realizing who they were as God's people. You know, Martin mentioned it this morning. Again, I was was kicking him from my notes. But the children of Israel, when they came to the promised land, and they sent the spies into the land, and the spies spent 40 days running around gathering information and coming back then to Moses and the, and the leaders of the nation and telling them what, the, what was the promised land was like. It's in Numbers 13. I'm not going to read. I'm just going to read one wee verse. Don't even need to turn to it. Numbers 13, 25 to 33. And it says, verse 33, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, which is really where Goliath was descendant from as well who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Their estimation of themselves was, we're, we're grasshoppers. We're, we're not even rats. We're not even dogs. We're just grasshoppers, even smaller than that. We have been so conditioned by what we've seen. We haven't appreciated all that God has done through the wilderness, all the, the training that we've gone through, all of the, the times that God had done things from bringing the manna from, you know, from the water from the rock and the, the waters of Myra and things that God had delivered them from. They hadn't understood who God was and that they were God's covenant people. They hadn't appreciated it. It hadn't got in there. They still did not realize they were God's people. They were defeated, despondent, dejected, surrounded by slaves, slaves surrounded by other slaves. They still had that mentality. In my original verse there, it actually says that they, um, they were equipped for battle. In verse 18, the people of Israel went, went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Some versions say that they were harnessed or in orderly ranks. So in one sense or other, it's actually a military term. They, were, they looked the part. The Egyptians give them things to get them out of the country. We don't know what they give them, treasure and things like that there, but they looked like a people with a mission. They looked determined to get out of Egypt, but they weren't in their hearts. They didn't have an understanding. They didn't have the ability. They were far, far from where they should have been. There's a warning in that for us. There's a warning in all this story for us. You know, it's important that we live who we are. We don't just need a few Christian books on our bookshelves. We don't need all of Hillsong's back catalog to, to be a Christian. You can have those and that's fine. But who we are every day is Christians, believers in God followers of God, children of the Most High God. And how we are makes a difference. 
we have to realize in ourselves who we are. Can't walk around as the, 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 the children of Israel did with that slave mentality, thinking, oh, I'm just a nice person. And yeah, maybe I think I'm a Christian, but if you don't live like a Christian, if you don't live the life, there's no point having the music to go with it. What point is it having nice, nice music playing in the background if your life doesn't live it? If we don't believe in God, if we don't trust God, if we don't believe his word, if we don't hold this up as the standard for our lives and for our, our families, what is the difference of being the people of God if it, it is only words, if it is only background music, if it is only ornaments on our shelves? It has to be more than that. For so many people, it isn't. It's nothing more than, than actions and things that they go through. It's nothing more than the accompaniments of Christianity. As we know, many times in scriptures and many times when people are preaching, they refer to Egypt as the world, the world where we all came from. We were all slaves to sin. We were all bound and had cruel taskmasters. People are bound to sin. They have a monkey on their back that takes them and tortures them and they don't even know it. And we were like that. We were lost. We were so very lost. Like the world that we meet every day, people living in darkness with no notion of God, with no notion of eternity, with no notion of his forgiving power. We were all like it, but he came and he set us free. Glory to God. He came and delivered us by his mighty outstretched hand. By the blood of Jesus on the cross, he came and set us free. He put his hope in us. He adopted us into his family. He did a work in us that we could not do. Glory to God. We're not slaves. We're not slaves to this world. We're not slaves to the lusts of the flesh. We're not slaves to sin, sickness, and disease. We're not slaves to the things of this world. We've been set free. We have been delivered. Glory to God. You know, that's something to rejoice in. That's something to be happy about. That's something to put on our bedpost every day. Thank God I've been set free. Thank God he's done a work in me. You know what? If you've done to praise God about this week, just start praising him about that there. If he has put his love in your heart, if he's put his word in your heart, if he has done something in you to change you, done something in us to change us, to give us a hope, hope for the future, there's people out there with no hope and they don't even know it. He's done a work in us. He set us free. Not just free, totally free totally free. Glory to God. Glory to God. You know, he gave his life to set us free. He gave his life to set us free. His very life. He just didn't say words. He just didn't come and live a life. He, he gave his life. He shed his blood to set us free. That's a value. That is something of worth. We're no longer strangers and aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We have been adopted into a family of God. You know what? You've got to get out of the slave mentality. Got to get out of that mentality where I'm just like everyone else. Yes, physically, but spiritually, you know what? I've been set free. You know what? They can lock us up, but the chains doesn't make us prisoners. It's what happens in your heart that makes you a prisoner. So it happens in your spirit that binds you, that, that, that weighs you down. And you have to protect that. It's important that we protect that. We've been set free miraculously and wonderfully. It's a wonder. It's a, it's, it really is. 
You know, as believers, we'll encounter the same problems, maybe not the same ones. We'll encounter problems. We'll encounter opposition that'll come against us, that'll want to silence us, that'll say, subconsciously, they'll think, you're too happy. You've got too much freedom. Why are you not like the rest of us? Come into the same bondage we are. Why don't you come to this place with us? Why don't you think this thing about this subject, just like us? Why don't you conform to our vision of the world and our way of living? Why don't you do that and give up all that other stuff? You're unusual and we don't like unusual. So they'll try and weigh us down and put bondages on us and weights on us that'll drag us down to their level. But God has set us free. He's delivered us. So God knows that we're going to encounter opposition. The children of Israel, he led them away from the Philistines in order to avoid immediate opposition. You've seen a young believer come along and, and full of zeal and full of enthusiasm for the things of God, and it's absolutely wonderful. And it's not immediately, sometimes immediately, but not immediately do they encounter problems. Sometimes in God's good grace, he, did, he, did, he keeps them in a small bubble of grace for a wee while when everything's shiny and they don't have any problems. And after a while, they, they face something and they have to you know, dig deep and they have to get into the word and pray to God and, 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 and seek God for an answer. And God helps them through that situation. And then after a while, they come along to another situation, another giant to face, another monster. And they pray and they seek God and they read his word and they surround themselves with godly people and they, they build themselves and they get through that one. And each time they're building up and they're getting bigger problems, they're, they're getting through. And that's the way God does. God does. He takes us through things in order to build us, build character in us. It says in uh, Judges chapter 3, um, you know, we'll actually read that. Judges chapter 3, just over to the right, a couple of pages, a couple of, couple of books. Judges chapter 3. Verses, just verse 1, and, 1 to 4. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war to teach war to those who had not known it before. I'm actually not going to read any more of that, but you can read the rest in the next couple of verses. He left nations on purpose in order to teach them war, in order to build in them Strength, in order to build in them awareness of the, the, the problems around them. God wasn't leaving those nations to tempt them. He was need, leaving them there as iron sharpens iron to toughen them up, to strengthen them, to, to teach them to resist those enemies, to fight against them if necessary, to resist them. And that was God's intention with those other nations. As I said, warfare is natural against the people of God. Yes, there is peace, there is joy, there is unending love between us and God. There's fellowship and communion, and there's peace in our hearts. But with the surrounding world, which doesn't like God, which doesn't like the things of God, there will be conflict. And once you stand up for God, there will be conflict. So we have to be aware we have an enemy. Ephesians 6 
Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in heavenly places. We don't, we don't have to fight against physical people. Personally, I do think it's important that our nation has a strong military so we can help other nations and help people in need, but we do not fight against other people. But we have enemies that are spiritual. And by spiritual, I don't necessarily mean fluffy, fluffy demons running around or angry demons. I'm talking about a mindset. I'm talking about a way of living that is against the, the, the God's word, which is against God's kingdom, which is against his rule of law. And those type of things will come against us. And we have to identify them, whether they're said to us by people in our, our, our work, whether they come against us in our families, where people say things against us in order to knock us down, in order to pull us down, in order to destroy our reliance on the word of God. See, often whenever we're having discussions with people, I've been having a number recently, and I've answered their question, giving both sides of the argument. I said, this is the argument if you believe that the Bible is the Bible and it's the word of God. And this is the argument if you don't believe that. If you believe it's full of holes and full of flaws and man-made, you'll believe all this. And we have to decide whether we believe the word of God is the word of God, unchanging for thousands of years. It's still got life in it, still got hope in it, still got truth in it. So we wrestle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we have to wrestle against this world, a wrestle against the things of this world. But we just don't wrestle against ideas. We wrestle in our own lives. We have to wrestle and argue against and overcome the lies of the enemy about us personally. Those things that the enemy would say to us, those things the enemy would do in our lives, the enemy's very good at telling you there's a full stop. He's very good at putting full stops in everything. That's it and no further. He's very good at bringing a, a line of demarcation saying you can't take your Christianity over that line. He's very good at saying to you personally that there's no hope for you, that there's no future for you, that there's nothing to live for. He's very good at doing those things, but we have to combat those things. Just as Jesus, whenever he, he faced the devil in the wilderness, what he did was he quoted the scriptures. He got the word involved. He got the Holy Spirit involved, and he quoted the scriptures to the enemy. We need to have the right scriptures. We need to look at the word and get the word in our heart and let the Holy Spirit stir that up in us and remind us of who we are and what he has done for us. We, so we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against these things personally in our own lives, where we have to accept that God is God and argue against them. So we need to press in. We need to strive. We need to come to a bit of effort. Wrestle. It isn't a soft term. It's an angry term. It's a, a violent term. There's too many of us, me included, are subject to, you know, we just, oh, well, maybe I couldn't be bothered. We have to wrestle against the flesh as much as we wrestle against spiritual things. These spiritual things in form of lies, in form of things that would come between believers, would come between us and the pastor or the church or someone on the other side of the congregation. We wrestle against those things and have to argue against them in our minds and, and quote scripture. But at the same time, we have to argue against our own flesh, our own fleshly desires, which seek after an easy life. 
Oh, I couldn't be bothered doing that. That's too much effort. You know what? I might have to wrestle with it in order to get there. You know what? I, I should really read that. I've been meaning to read that there, that, that scripture from, from, from Martin on Sunday or David on Sunday. I've been reading, reading to listen to that podcast. And I just haven't done it. It's so sunny outside and it's so warm and I couldn't, just couldn't be bothered. You know what? We have to wrestle against it. Too many, too many of us, too many Christians just do not wrestle against their flesh. They give in to it. I was talking to Sharon a couple of weeks ago, and I says, you know what, what are we like? We can't even resist a jammy bun. How are we going to resist the devil? <laughs> can't even resist a jammy bun. How am I going to resist the devil? When he comes up to me with lies and, and deceits and all the rest, how am I going to do that? But we need to wrestle against the flesh. We don't make war on the flesh. You know, you see a life of someone, I can think of my, my dad, who's been an example for me growing up. You know, a life of devotion. You know, I'm sure the other, you know, pastors, I'm thinking David and Pastor Yule there, and, and Martin as well. Lives devoted to God. Let's read in the word. You know, praying, studying, seeking God. You know, we don't all preach. But you know what? We can still live a life of devotion. I can remember going to Bible call, camp with a, a CU weekend with school. And I can remember this guy who was, he was Presbyterian. And um, uh, he would every morning have his Bible out and he'd be reading his Bible. And every night before he went to bed, he would just put his head down and he would, he would pray. I knew what he was doing. No one was making fun of him. Uh, it was other people were doing it as well, but it was a case of it spoke to me. You know what? I am a follower. Am I following? I'm a disciple. Am I, a dis- am I discipled? We have to press into these things, overcome our own natural apathy and reluctance and our own natural desires to just kick off the shoes and tick, stick on X Factor. We have to press in. We are the children of God. But until that gets into our souls and our spirits, and it needs to get in daily. It needs to get in daily. Daily, the, the, the children of Israel had the taskmasters whipping them and yelling, get on with it, slave. Get on with it, slave. Daily in our lives, we have people yelling at us in various ways. May not be physically yelling at us, but they're telling us, you're nothing. You're nothing. You're no good. You're just no better than anyone else but we do have this treasure in earthen vessels. Amen. Praise the Lord. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. I tell you, the word of God is powerful. We don't have to be subject to this world, subject to fear and, and all the other things that the enemy would bring on us. Fear and depression and weighing us down and pulling, us, uh, pulling the joy out from under us. Don't have to be subject to those things. God has given us a way to set us free. He's given us his word, which is a lamp unto our feet. We must combat the lions of the enemy. We must make war against the lust of the flesh. I've said all that without reading my notes, so I've got to go back to my notes now. Matthew 11, verse 12, as it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. There has to be a forcefulness to us, 
a determination. As the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they came looking ready for war. They weren't. We have to come to this life ready for war. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. There has to be something in us that determines, determines beforehand that we will advance, that we will continue on the path, that we will not be taken over by the enemy. There's to be something in us that will rise up and say, no, this far and no further. I am a child of God. And we have to determine in our minds and in our hearts, that's what we are and that's what we're going to do. When Art Sharon and I got married, what did they say in the wedding vows? I will. I didn't say, I feel like it. I didn't say, well, for today, maybe. I said, I will. And then when I came to Christ, I said, I will have you as my Lord and Savior. I will have you as my King of Kings and my Lord of Lords. I made a decision. I will have him. I need him. And we have to determine in our hearts, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, determination, effort. I'm not talking something that's manufactured. I'm talking about something that we decide. We have to decide it. We can't just leave it and go, I'm just going to wait till the feeling overtakes me. Maybe I'll feel like being a better Christian tomorrow. And I'm not talking about being a better Christian in works. I'm talking about I have to decide. Every day we have to decide, are we going to follow God? Or are we going to just, just breeze through it? We need to get it in us today. And it's the day. Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. God is very much about today is the day. Mankind was given, a, 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 you know, if man was, man was told you've got a, a, you know, this many years to live and then, you know, then you're going to die. We would live like the devil for as many years as we could until the day before. God's not like that. He tells you, get saved today. Come to me today. Bend the knee today. Today is the day of salvation. Romans 13 says, it says 12 to 14, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. We have to steal ourselves. You know, we have to decide. We want to, I want to follow God. I want to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The old saying from uh, Julius Caesar when he came to, to Britain, he said, it was Vini Vidi Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. There's no hesitation. We have to burn the boats and I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on the upward way. Praise the Lord. Goes on there in Ephesians 6 to talk about the whole armor of God. Put it, you know, and as I'm talking this evening, as I'm speaking, as I'm bringing this down to a conclusion, you know, as I'm talking, you might be thinking in your life, there's, there's victory that I cannot have. There's things that are too big for me to, to resist. There's arguments and things that have happened in my life that I cannot overcome. The enemy has done too much work. The enemy's done too much and I've gone too far and I cannot do it. And that's the lie of the enemy. The enemy would deceive us and would manipulate us. If you have your, turn over your scriptures there again. Exodus 17. This will be the last verse I want to turn to. Exodus 17. This is a powerful illustration. It's a passage we're familiar with as well. Pas uh, 
Exodus 17 and verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the hilltop, whenever Moses held his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. A familiar passage, we might have read it before. Children of Israel were coming out. They've come a long way from the, 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 the slaves who'd come out of Egypt. They were now waging war against their enemies. They were building the reputation that Martin was speaking about this morning. They were coming out and they were going to war with Amalek. But you see, God has got a principle here. God says, I need someone to stand with a sword and a shield. I need someone who's going to go and do the dirty work. But our victory is not dependent upon our efforts. Our victory is dependent upon the Lord. If you can imagine the scene as everyone is fighting, as the, the host is rushing forward, as one band is, is overcoming another band, there's uh, Moses sitting on the hill, standing, holding the rod. There's the two men standing on either side of him. And you can imagine a reporter on the scene talking about this band has overcome that band, and oh, they look like they're advancing on the left flank, and oh, they're doing this, and they, they totally neglect what's happening on the hill. But if you're in the valley, and you're in the middle of the war, and you're in the middle of that conflict, and you're fighting, and you're struggling, what do you see on the hill? You see three men silhouetted against the skyline. See, our victory isn't necessarily something of our ability. It is not something that we have manufactured. Yes, we have to stand up. We have to rise up against the lies and the things of the enemy. We have to rise up against them and throw them down. We've got to do the physical work. But just as their victory depended on those three men, on the, those, the silhouettes on the, the skyline, so does ours. When Christ went up that, tree, uh, that hill in Calvary and he gave his life for us, there is the silhouette on against the skyline as well. The victory that we have won as believers isn't by our efforts. It's by the Jesus on the, on the skyline. It's about that one on the tree. It's about that. And that's our victory. So if we have a defeat, it doesn't mean that we have been defeated. If we have had something happen in our lives, in our families, it doesn't mean that it's all gone. It, I'm a defeated in that area. Look at the Taliban in Afghanistan, defeated at the hands of, of the, the coalition, and yet who's still fighting in Afghanistan? It's the Taliban, because they have not been defeated. And as the people of God, we might face sometimes defeats in circumstances. We might face defeats in what God has maybe promised us, and we think, oh no, maybe that's not going to happen. That's, I'm not going to see the fulfillment of that. And a defeat does not mean that you are defeated. See, if defeat gets into your heart, then you're a slave but we are sons and daughters of God. We've been set free. We have victory. Now, victory isn't, a change, isn't necessarily a set of circumstances. It is a person. It is a person. So even whenever we are in change, we can rejoice because we have Christ. He is our victory. He is the one who makes all the difference. 
Warren Wearsby says, we do not strive for victory. We fight from victory. We fight from that place of victory, trusting God, knowing that he has accomplished, he has defeated. It actually says in one scripture, he has destroyed all the works of the enemy. He came to destroy the works of the enemy in our lives. Come to destroy them. The works of the enemy would try and recreate, try and remanufacture. When I hear the word works at the minute, I think of um, earthen works and what they used to do in the Old Testament. They, 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 in order to take a castle or a, a, a keep, what they would do is push dirt up against the wall and they'd sort of slowly make a ramp and then everyone would just run up over the, the ramp. And that's what he does. He tries to reestablish those works and Christ came to destroy the works of the enemy, destroy them to the uttermost. And he'll keep coming back, you know, but he's still defeated and he's, Christ will still destroy it. Glory to God. With God, we are more than conquerors. My intention tonight has just been to encourage us to press on, to walk on, to continue, to realize that we are the children of God, that he has done a work in us and that we have a week ahead of us that is not full of being defeated. It is not full of being in that slave mentality where we are I'm just living the way, living like the world, maybe not be doing all the wild, worldly things, but you know what? My ambitions are the same as the world. I just want to retire, have a nice wee pension, and I'll be happy. I just want to live out my days, and then maybe I'll do something whenever I retire. That's not, there's got to be more to life than that. There's got to be more to life than that. This Christian life has got to mean something. You know, he does, if it didn't mean anything, this living this life, he would have saved us and took us home. But he, he wants us here for a purpose. He wants us here to be his people, to be a light set on a hill, to be a nation that makes a difference. And I don't mean as British citizens. I mean as people of God, as the, as the children of God. And I'm going to read this. There's just a couple of wee bits from this book. I'm not reading, just headers. Uh, my friend Richard will know this book it's, uh, and a few others. Uh, William Gurnhall, the, the Christian in Complete Armor. And he's talking about the Christian's call to service. The soldier is summoned to a life of active duty, and so is the Christian. The very nature of the calling precludes a life of ease. If you had thought to be a summer soldier, consider your commission carefully. Your spiritual orders are rigorous. Number one, renounce your bosom sins. The sins which you have lain nearest your heart must now be trampled under your feet. We we are not bound to those things anymore. The power of sin has been broken over our lives. The presence of sin abides, but the power of that sin no longer has anything on us. Number two, conform your life to Christ. We are commanded not to be conformed to this world that is, not to compromise ourselves with the corrupt customs of our day. Number three, sidestep stumbling blocks. There have always been those in the church who by serious mistakes on judgment and conduct have led a stumbling block in the path of professing Christians. One of the things the enemy will do is he'll bring someone along who's got maybe some, some, something that's going to cause us to stumble, a believer who sets himself up and everyone goes, oh, he's wonderful. And then that person falls and then people go, oh, look at Christianity, it's not real. People will come and people will go, things will fall. We have to set our standard higher. 
And you know, the enemy will also do, the enemy will do whatever he can to interrupt our connection to the place that God wants to feed our souls. God, God has, has ordained you know, this place as a place where it's, it, it, it treasures the word of God, the scriptures, the, the plain truth, the simple things. And the devil will do things to try and interrupt your trust in this house. He'll try and do things to interrupt your love for the pastor. He'll try and interrupt that pastor. God has ordained that pastor to bring words of life to us, to feed our souls. People are planted in all different vineyards. People are planted in all different places. And the enemy will come along and try and circumsect that. He'll kind of come along and divert you. He'll try and get you into a different pastor, which, you know, which will be a nice wee pastor. It'll be nice. There'll be no harm there. That's nice. They've got all the, as Martin said this morning, they've got all the programs. They've got everything that's going to keep me happy. But you know what? God's got something for your soul that you can only get, you can only get from the person that God has ordained to put it into your soul. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Trust Number four, trust God in every circumstance. There are times when a saint is called to trust in a withdrawing God. Let him that walketh in darkness and hath no light trust in the name of the Lord. This requires a bold step of faith to venture into God's presence with the same temerity as Esther into Azarias. To, to pursue after God, even whenever you don't know everything. To keep going, follow him, believe his word, keep on the promises. Number five, stay on the course to the end of your life. Praise the Lord. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Your work and life must go, on, must go off the stage together. There, we need more believers who pass through this life with hand in hand, their life and their ministry, their life and their relationship with God go hand in hand. We've seen too many that have gone through this life and their ministry or their, their relationship with God has gone off on a tangent and they've continued. But hand in hand, we must continue as both, as our life and our spiritual life. Persisting to the end will be the burr under your saddle, the thorn in your flesh. When the road ahead seems endless and your soul begs an early discharge, it weighs down every other difficulty of your calling. We have known many who have joined the army of Christ and liked being a soldier for a battle or two, but have soon had enough and ended up deserting. It's a battle. We need to press on, press in. They impulsively enlist for the Christian duties, are easily persuaded to take up a pro profession of religion and are just as easily persuaded to lay it down. Like the new moon, they shine a little in the first part of the evening, but go down before the night is over. This persevering is a hard work, taking up the cross daily, praying always, watching night and day, and never laying aside our armor to indulge ourselves sends many sorrowful away from Christ. Yet this is your calling, to make the Christian faith your daily walk and your daily work. Without any vacation from one end of the year to the other, these few examples are enough to show how much courage and determination you need. We are in an army. We are the people of God. We will face hardships, but we are not defeated. We may have faced defeats, but we are not defeated. 
You know, as I was preparing this, this message this week, that was what kept coming back to me. We may have been defeated. We may have had a defeat, but we are not defeated. We are the people of God. We have something, and we have something this world needs, and we need to keep pressing on, keep pressing through, keep pursuing those things that God has got, done for us and God has given us, God has promised us. And there is hope, there is joy, there is peace, there is life everlasting. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.